How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a webcast, a podcast about wrestling. And this week, we are going to be discussing our favorite SummerSlams. And uh, by the time you see this, obviously, SummerSlam 2021 is done and in the books. But uh, what an exciting time it is mm-hmm. to be a wrestling fan right now. Uh, the weekend that SummerSlam happened, the Friday preceding it, uh, CM Punk debuted in AEW, which uh, certainly makes things more interesting. And then at SummerSlam, you had Becky Lynch returning in a very awkward way, but it was she certainly came out to an ovation. And then you also had Brock Lesnar coming out. This is the, we're going to have to add him to our lists, uh, our ponytail beard uh, butcher Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah Leonard did you catch any highlights of any of this stuff or did you just read about it yeah you know as we've talked about I'm not really watching any of the current project right now I of course did read about all the returns and how those you know move the needles for all the different shows I, and I'm excited for that I really think everything that AEW is doing right now is they're trying to make a, a game of it you know and that is at least I think to a degree waking up the wwe to to an extent you know i there agree there were it was the party line was well we, well we don't care and but but if you didn't care then why did you bring brock lesnar back now and becky lynch back right now when you knew that cm punk was coming back and supposedly daniel bryan will be debuting for a and e come for, i call them a and e again i keep calling <laughs> aew a and e the arts and entertainment of wrestling channel that's right uh so uh so i i think yeah i you know i know this was said a couple years ago when aew first came out that this was an exciting time with all the wrestling companies and shows going on and now i think it's becoming exciting because it feels like we do have a war in our hands again like the wcw wf um you know monday night wars it, it feels like aew is starting to make a game of it because of and again, I mean, this is what WCW did. They had a lot of money and they signed a lot of big names and it didn't work for them in the long run. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, I mean, and as Eric Bischoff talked about on his podcast, uh, right now WWE is just feeding marquee talent to AEW. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can pretty much pick who they want. I mean, you have a lot of people out there in the ether right now um, by the time you guys see this, who knows what signings will have happened, but you have Adam right. Cole supposedly on the fence. You have Bray Wyatt out there. You have Braun Strowman out there. Uh, yeah. So who knows what's going to happen? But uh, anyway, just kind of setting the stage is for the reason of our topic, which is our favorite Summer Slams, is the mm-hmm. fact that this is Summer Slam season. And uh, Summer Slam is always an interesting event. What it started as and what it has become is uh, really interesting to me. But uh, I figure we should start chronologically, Leonard. So, uh, mm-hmm. Leonard, what SummerSlam did you choose to highlight today? Well, so obviously that means I've picked the earliest one. And I'm taking a look at SummerSlam 1990. Um, it's a show that I would say, in general, the good stuff is really good. The lousy stuff is awful, but easily cut <laughs> out. And some of the so-so matches, you just need to clean up a little bit. Um, you know, put some, give them some more time, cut some of the overbooking, 
and and it would help but we'll we'll get that as we go through it so i'll go through the matches here and you can chime in as you feel like if you have thoughts on anything so the opener is the rockers of mario Gennetti and Shawn michaels versus power and glory of hercules hernandez and paul roma with slick so uh this this match had a great storyline and therefore made a really hot opener Shawn michaels injury at the very beginning it was uh you know mentioned that he was coming in with a knee injury so it basically turns into a handicap match uh of marty going alone so everyone gets over here michaels draws a lot of sympathy for the knee injury Janetti looks great going it alone i mean not only does he draw sympathy but he also just you know looks great that he's fighting it out with these two guys by himself and even though this turns into a glorified squash for power and glory um, they look great. They look as conquering badass heels, um, taking them out. And uh, it makes one excited to see a rematch between these two. So, and I know Power and Glory is one of those underrated teams. You know, anytime I seem to do one of those uh, fantasy booking leagues that uh, someone later on and will put together Power and Glory and, you know, use them as, as a strong underneath heel team. Uh, so, but I thought this was a great opener. And I should say, I kind of just randomly wound up, wound up watching SummerSlam 90 on the network. Um, just because it was like, hey, I feel like watching an old SummerSlam. I saw that one. I started watching it. And um, right from the get-go, I was very excited and I was drawn into it from this match. Yeah, you know, it was too long ago that I watched this. And I assume it was for uh, one of Conrad Thompson's podcasts. Uh, so it was pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, this is a very good show overall, and uh, you know we'll get to some of the the highs and the lows. I think this is definitely one of the highs. I agree with you totally about Power and Glory. I think they're a very underrated team, and I think the reason they're underrated is because of the squash that happened against uh, the Legion of Doom, mm -hmm. which yeah. uh, to me wasn't totally fair. Um, you know, as more I've learned about the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, and how they just refuse to lose. They're not nearly known for their politicking as like, for instance, Hulk Hogan is, but they really should be uh, because, you know, just some of the situations just seem silly when you look back at it. But anyway, uh, I think Power Glory was a good team. I think that this was a really solid opener. And I, yeah, I remember the, the angle with uh, Shawn Michaels and his knee. Uh, yeah, this was, this was a good little way to, to start this match, uh, to start this card. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. So match two is Kurt Hennig with Bobby Heenan versus Kerry Von Erich for the IC title. Uh, it should be mentioned that Kerry is only referred to as the Texas Tornado. They don't say yep. his real name ever, I don't think. Not it's at this stage. Eventually, I think they would. Yes, not on this show, yeah. I should say. No, but yeah, yeah, not on this show, though. They would start calling him Kerry Von Erich. Uh, and it's mentioned how he's new to WWE. Not Now, not necessarily new to wrestling like they kind of did when Harley Race came in. Uh, you know, Gorilla was like, look at this youngster. Uh, but uh, and but they don't reference where he's coming from or what he's done in his career, uh, just that he's new to WWE. So, anyway, you know, Von Eric could have great matches with the right opponent, like a Ric Flair. Hennig is certainly in that mold. He sells his ass off for Von Eric here. Uh, he takes a huge bump to the corner, he does this flipping, spinning cell, the discus punch, which is just amazing. You know, that's prime Kurt Hennig. And this was really a great match to vault Von Eric up the rankings, put him over. And um, I believe this was done to position Hennig uh, to have some world title matches with Ultimate Warrior after this. 
Um, so you make a brand new star right from the get-go here with Von Erich. Hennig doesn't lose a lot of juice. And uh, post-match, uh, Hennig and uh, Heenan do a great uh, a promo on the back that's very fiery uh, that, that helps to, them to kind of regain a, li a little heat and momentum as well. But I thought this was another, you know, really mostly because of the selling of Kurt Hennig. Yeah, this this was this was good for what it was. Uh, you know, Texas Tornado was a hot character at the time, and you know, SummerSlam, you know, it, it has a lot of those kind of like shock title change moments, and this certainly qualified uh, as that. Um, you know, the more you know about Kerry Von Erich and uh, you know his family story and his story, and you know the issue with his foot, you know, it kind of really shapes the way you look at some of his matches in WWF. Yeah. Um, but uh, this was good for what it was, and I, you know, these two guys I thought were fine together. Um, so yeah, this this was cool to me. Yeah. Now we lose some of our momentum here with the next segment. It's not a match; it's Sensational Sherry versus Sapphire. So the the storyline, if, if for those who don't remember, is that Sapphire was the valet for Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Queen Sherry was the valet for King Macho Man Randy Savage. And uh, Sapphire, leading up to the show, had been getting some expensive gifts from a anonymous uh, admirer. You know, it was like a fur coat and jewelry and things of this nature. So she was supposed to wrestle Sherry here. She doesn't come out. Sherry, by the way, is dressed like Guillermo del Toro's idea of a luchador. It is an amazing outfit and makeup job that she's got. Uh, but this bit really grinds the show to a halt. This is the thing I would just cut. I would cut this entirely and you're much better off for it. So anyway, uh, I think they play Dusty's music three times. If not if not twice, they play it three times. Sapphire doesn't come out. And Sherry basically wins by count out. And then we get a promo in the back where um, uh, Dusty is saying he arrived with Sapphire today but can't find her and doesn't know where she's at. And then Hacksaw Jim Duggan pledges his help and it's a whole bag of nothing. So... Yeah, no, I agree. This this definitely really ruins the flow of the show. Just not yeah. just this segment, but you know the one that would come later as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, Sapphire wasn't long for this world after this whole storyline. From what I remember on the podcast that Bruce Pritchard has done, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she was just kind of tired of being on the road. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was nearing the end uh, for her. Uh, but yeah, this was you know forgettable so yeah so next up uh, we got tito santana versus the warlord with slick uh this feels like a main event for superstars at the time yeah. and it's interesting to note that when we did our tito santana uh wrestlemania matches video that wrestlemania 8 which was the same year he faced um no that's correct right wrestlemania 8 would be the following year this would have been seven it's coming off of WrestleMania six. Yeah. So forget me. I got my timeline totally mixed up because I was going <laughs> to say that this was coming off of him uh, fighting the barbarian, the warlord's former tag team partner in the powers of pain. But I guess that's not correct due to the timeline. So forgive me there on that. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is the Warlord is no Barbarian. If you look at those two matches together, you can see how much of a better wrestler Barbarian was than the warlord you know tito does a great selling job here but the warlord is is plotting he's boring um you know this is just a match that's there i don't know if this is a match that i would cut if i was going to tweak this show a little bit like i said i would 
um, or just maybe make it the the let me up match before the main event type of thing. Because I mean, anytime we can get Tito Santana on a card, you should do it. But this isn't anything special. Yeah, I mean, at, at this stage, I think I mentioned this match when we did our Tito WrestleMania episode, uh, simply because poor Tito was just he just jobbed to both the powers of pain after they had split and went their uh, singles route. And uh, it, uh, it, it, it just, yeah, it was what it was. The warlord uh, had some interesting gear for the time, a uh, very phantom of the opera ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was not really that great in, in the ring. Um, and this was, you know, pretty much filler. So, you know, the more I think about it, I think I was correct that this comes after WrestleMania six that he fought, uh, the Barbarian at WrestleMania 6. He fought the Mountie at WrestleMania 7 and Shawn yes. Michaels at WrestleMania 8. So I was correct. I got my WrestleManias mixed up. I had my timeline correct. So I was I was right and thought I was wrong, but I was really right. Next match, we have uh, Demolition versus the Hart Foundation. Best two out of three falls for the tag team titles. Good match aside from the overbooking. Uh, you have the Hart Foundation winning the second fall on a DQ you have Axe doing a switch with Smash because it was the Smash and Crush versions of Demolition here, which doesn't make any sense because the referee should know that that's not Smash. Right. Um, then the LOD comes out to stop the cheating and they basically kind of hand the Hard Foundation the belts. And this was supposed to help set up, you know, the match and feud between Demolition and LOD that we never really got. I think they had some six-mans, uh, which involved the Red Warriors and the Ultimate Warrior with all three members. Right here and there uh and for those who don't know axe was just having some health problems during this period and that's why crush came in and was doing most of the wrestling so i think this had nice pacing throughout it's pretty fast considering uh everyone who was involved outside of bret hart i think that was pretty probably because they had uh, a certain time frame that they needed to fit all three falls into i get the reason for all the overbooking but again if i'm going to tweak this a little bit i would probably take a lot of that out and just let this be more of a straight up two out of three falls match but but entertaining yeah i i like this match uh you know i like two out of three falls matches and uh the heart foundation were in their fair share of them and uh you know this one might not have been one of the best but i i thought it was good for what it was and yeah it was a little bit overbooked um but yeah uh you know good match great teams no complaints here sure and now we get uh, Bad News Brown versus Jake the Snake Roberts with Big Boss Man as a special guest referee. Uh, just like how the last match uh, was about moving the demos on to LOD, this felt like moving Bad News Brown into a program with Boss Man from, from after going with Jake Roberts. This match was pretty good. I really liked it up until the DQ finish. Um, and, and again, if I was going to tweak something, I would not make this a DQ. I would give this more time and maybe have um jake probably have jake win you know clean so that uh bad news brown would dispute this with the boss man uh but uh you know, so I, I just think you could have said had the boss man inject himself in different ways to get uh, that new feud going and that's where you want to do uh there's an angle here of damien the snake versus brown sewer rat which is a possum in the cage which <laughs> never which never comes up never they show the possum in the back and then he brings it out and nothing ever comes of it so, you know, it's Chekhov's gun. You know, you don't introduce the possum and then don't use the possum. Uh, yeah. so, so, again, I think if you strip the overbooking out of this, it would be fine. And, and I would definitely have at least the tease of the possum coming out of the cage uh, that, that, we didn't, that we didn't get. So I would just like this to be more of a clean match between Roberts and Brown. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you here. And yeah, this was a very cartoonish era of WWF, but I, I liked a lot of Jake the Snake Roberts feuds. I liked a lot of Bad News Browns feuds too. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this was a decent one. Yeah, I think they could have used, uh, we needed more sewer rat. As the SNL skit, we needed more cowbell. We needed more yeah. sewer rat here. Um, and I that think could, that, that could be our next t shirt more sewer rat. More sewer rat. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned. Our, uh, our shirt store is coming. Yes. Uh, yeah. So going to debut with like two dozen shirt ideas <laughs> that nobody has heard of. And yeah, uh, nobody will ever order. <laughs> but the Rock with a Kendo stick, I think, will be our best seller. I, I probably will be. I'll get Dan to buy a couple of our shirts. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, this was okay. Yeah. So next up is a segment. It's the Brother Love Show. Sergeant Slaughter had just turned heel here. He's still in his regular outfit. He's not in the Iraqi sympathizer outfit yet. And he's just teasing the fact that he's leaning towards the Iraqi side. And basically he gives uh, Brother Love some sort of dumb great American award. It's just to put heel heat on him. That's all it's there for. And it's fine. I don't think it's something you waste on SummerSlam. I think that's something you do on Superstars. But I agree. But I get the idea of them wanting to put Slaughter on the show. If they already had the idea of where they were going, uh, which I think they did, you know, going for the Royal Rumble where he would win the title. Right. So next match is uh, an oddity. It's Jim Duggan and Nikolai Volkov versus the Orient Express of Sato and Tanaka with Mr. Fuji. So the Soviet Union is no more Volkov turned face and became pro-USA. This aligns him with Duggan, who's very pro-USA, and they have to face a foreign menace, which winds up being the Orient Express. So, uh, you know, that's pretty much the storyline here. And this, in my mind, this is probably one of, if not the most high-profile match that Nikolai Volkov was probably ever involved in. I mean, he won tag title belts and, and you know, with Sheik and did that the first WrestleMania. But uh, especially from this era, uh, it just feels like th- this is the most focus that, that he's given. So, I mean, it's kind of a nothing match, but I get the storyline uh, as far as if you're trying to push Volkov and Duggan as a tag team, although I don't think that ever really goes anywhere. Yeah, I really like the Orient Express as a tag team, any version of them, uh, really. I thought that they were they were good and should have been used in more spots. Uh, the Duggan-Volkov tag team, you know, I'll, I'll struggle to remember that they were a tag team, uh, you know, an hour after the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, this match was just here. Okay. So then we get to Randy Savage with Queen Sherry versus Dusty Rhodes. Uh, so this match was sold totally short by the angle involved here because uh sapphire is brought out by the million dollar man tip the Biasi. of course the Biasi was the guy who's paying her off giving her the jewels and furs and the money and all that this totally blows dusty Rhodes's mind uh so we wind up getting a really short match which kind of surprises me here uh sherry is great by the way all the stuff that she's doing outside yeah. the ring and and and, and you know working with Dusty. Uh, she slipped Savage some sort of foreign object they used to KO Dusty very early on in the match. I could get it if, like, if it was a flash roll-up because Dusty's, you know, distracted by Bibiasi, but the fact that the match goes a few minutes and then we get this seems weird. I'm not sure what the story was here. You know, I didn't really look that up, but I think this was a match. If you just let these two guys go at it, it would have been really good because they're both good workers and both good personalities. And, just to mention, imagine this match from five years earlier. This match yeah. was happened in 1985 instead of 1990. So I think this was just a match that got sold short because of, of the angle. 
But if you would have let it just be, I think it would have been a good match. No, I agree. It's a shame that we didn't get a longer, better match from these two here. Uh, yeah, the way this was done was awkward and just odd. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the way this whole thing wrapped up. It just, yeah, a lot of it just was kind of poorly executed in my book. Mm-hmm. So the sub main is Hulk Hogan with Big Boss Man. So he's he's not wrestling, but he's working twice. Uh, versus uh, the earthquake with Jimmy Hart and Dino Bravo. Uh, to, to mention the pre-match promo by by Hogan is of course awesome. Uh, he talks about Thomas Jefferson Bossman and George Washington Hogan using the 24-inch pythons to chop down an apple tree. Uh, I mean that was all gold. You know, H- Hogan off the wall promos are the best. Um, and you know, Hogan matches are so formula. But it's such a great formula. It's a formula to tell a story. It, it's a formula the crowd is hot for. This is a formula Hogan match here. Earthquake makes a great foil for him because of his side. I mean, the match is plodding and slow, but it's not boring. I mean, I was entertained by it. They know how to milk the fans, get the most of every spot. Um, but once again, this is a match killed by overbooking. But it's Hulk Hogan, so, you know, everyone's going to get involved here. Bravo gets involved. Hart gets involved. Bossman gets involved. Uh, but there's just a flow to it as well. You know, it all kind of fits together. You know, every, everything kind of works here. Uh, going back and watching some of these older shows that we've done lately, you know, for the, for the podcast slash webcast, uh, you know, I've kind of gained a new appreciation for, for, for Hulk Hogan. The way he could put together a match is a very specific match to him, but he could put together a match and it may not be technically sound, but it was always super hot, high energy, something that the crowd got into. And it's kind of odd to see Hogan, Submain with no title belt uh, uh, here, but um, and Earthquake was a great feud for him, and I thought this was a, an entertaining match. Yeah, I really loved this feud. Um, I was totally on board. I mean, this was back when uh, you know the Earthquake put Hogan on the shelf with uh, you know the splash on the chest, and you know Hogan was laid up, and uh, apparently uh, they. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard talks about how they executed the, uh, you know, get well soon Hulk Hogan letters uh, specifically so that they could get people's addresses uh, to send the catalog (laughs) and stuff to, which, which is pretty genius. Um, But yeah, I really like this feud a lot. I thought that earthquake was a great uh, foe for Hogan. And uh, yeah, I agree with what you said. Um, You know, his matches did have a formula and I, some people might not like that, but I mean, I, I was totally on board and, you know, to me, this was just classic era Hogan. Uh, so yeah, it was a d- decent match all the way. And I enjoyed watching it. The crowd was, you know, on fire for it. Mm-hmm. And then your main event is ultimate warrior versus Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan for the WWF world heavyweight title inside of a steel cage. You know, when you talk warrior, he really had three really good opponents. That was Hennig Rude and, and Randy Savage. Uh, so Rude versus Warrior is going to be a good match. Putting inside steel cages is a good stipulation. I think they work well with each other. I think the near escapes and the shots into the cage are all really well done. Uh, Rude jumps off the top of the cage was great. Um, I like how Warrior gyrates like right at the end before dropping to the floor to really, you know, Warrior. That was one of those odd kind of like Warrior was never funny or the Warrior never really did anything out of character. So for him to do that little gyration was really kind of out of character and funny. And I really liked it. It was a small thing, but really nice. 
Uh, rude selling was great throughout the match. Great intensity. I think this was a sleeper of a main event. I mean, it's a really strong bout. I don't think it's maybe a main event that a lot of people talk about. I think at one point it was like when you talk about great SummerSlam main events, you would say, oh, Warrior versus Rude and Steel Cage. And as time has gone on, I think it's kind of fallen out of, of being one of the ones you remember. But I think this was a really uh, great uh, main event. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this main event as well. Uh, Rick Rude, to me, is, as you said, one of Warrior's best opponents. Um, it made sense for Rick Rude to get the main event slot here after Warrior beat Hogan. And uh, this is the classic uh, big blue steel cage. Um, and, I yeah, I like this feud a lot. I thought that the match was very good. Rick Rude knew how to bring out the best in Warrior. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that this was a good way to end the show this was peak warrior title run to me um obviously it wouldn't go where uh vince and wwf wanted it to uh, but uh this was you know the height of his title run so so you know in, in summary you, you know i don't think we would do this show for a re for a rebook because it's very easy to figure out what you do here savage versus Rhodes and roberts versus brown you just give more time and clean finishes to right. maybe clean some of the overbooking in the tag title match. You cut all the Sapphire and DiBiase stuff. I think you could even keep Santana versus the Warlord and Duggan and Volkov versus the Orient Express because they're relatively short and they serve a purpose. We're trying to put over the Warlord. We're trying to put over Volkov and Duggan. So, you know, I, I don't know if I would call SummerSlam 1990 like my favorite. I would probably have to rewatch a few of the other ones, but I think it's certainly underrated. And it's just to show that if you clean the gunk out, you wind up with a fantastic program. Absolutely. I agree. It was a good show. Um, so the rest of uh, WrestleMania, the SummerSlam I've chosen is from 2002. And it took place August 25th, 2002, Uniondale, New York, specifically Long Island at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Uh, 14,797 in attendance. It did a buy rate of 540,000. So this to me, I would you know challenge anybody to show me a SummerSlam card that was better top to bottom than this one. Um, this has so much great talent and so many great pairings in terms of matches. Uh, this, you know, it, it was just a fun pay-per-view to rewatch for me. And, uh, obviously the, uh, main story here is the meteoric rise of Brock Lesnar. Uh, since he had debuted with Paul Heyman, he was, literally you know i don't know how else to say it the next big thing mm -hmm. um he had won king of the ring by defeating rob van dam in the finals and let's remember preceding this now he goes to face the rock the rock won a triple threat match uh uh you know before this to become the undisputed champ this was during the era of the undisputed championship um and so leading up to this brock lesnar defeated hulk hogan on tv with a bear hug which caused hogan to bleed and then lesnar did that famous scene where he takes hogan's blood and wipes it on his chest uh to me as a person who grew up a hulkamaniac that was a very shocking scene to me i had never seen a finish with a bear hug before i certainly didn't expect hogan to lose to a bear hug 
Now, people always talk about how Hogan's this backstage uh, politician, and he is, but he knew who to lose to, you know, when he when it needed to happen. And I think even Hogan saw that Lesnar was a star on the rise. And I don't think he would have done that job the way he did had he not believed in, in Lesnar. Now, obviously, Lesnar's journey had some bumps in the roads. Uh, but, um, but anyway, that's the story leading up to the main event is uh, one, uh, that match with, uh, with Hogan. And obviously, Lesnar was just kind of destroying everybody. But, uh, but yeah, let's get to the card here. Um, it opens with Kurt Angle uh, defeating Rey Mysterio uh, by submission. Rey Mysterio had debuted uh, before this. And uh, yeah, I mean, this, I can't think of a better way to open a card in this era. So great match. What did you think? Yeah, hot opener. You know, these guys have different styles, but they know how to work together. And because Ray is so small, Angle can really show off his power game, which I think we got here. Um, the match also shows how hot the crowd's going to be all night. This is a really yeah. hot crowd, and it was all night. Um, and, and I like the finish. Uh, it's a, the Ray goes for a top rope Rana. That angle kind of blocks on the way down and then gets the ankle lock out of it. So that was kind of inventive. Uh, but, yeah, I like this match a lot. So, yeah, I should add that, um, you know, one of the other reasons I really like this card is because the – you know, this was peak commentary teams in this area, in this, in this era as well. Mm -hmm. You had JR and the King on Raw doing their thing. And then you had Michael Cole and Taz on SmackDown. And I think to date, uh, Taz has been Michael Cole's best color commentator. And uh, they were, they were, all the commentators were very, very good here. Uh, you had Eric Bischoff as the GM of Raw and you had Stephanie McMahon as the GM of SmackDown. I thought that the segments, maybe you know, the, during the show and as a whole, the the chemistry that they had also, I, I, I enjoyed. Um, so yeah, just throwing that out there. But uh, the next, well, I, I would before we yeah. move on, I would say I would disagree with um, the segments with Stephanie and Eric felt really written to me. They felt like they were just reading words off a page. And I, I don't, yeah, I agree with you there. <laughs> no, I actually did not think that they had a good chemistry and there's not really a lot of extra segments here. Uh, there's also one of, uh, from WWE New York of where like Jamie Noble chooses a guy to make out with Nydia, like, like a dude, like you win making out with my girlfriend, which is, which is, such a weird thing that was it was so bizarre and i can't even it's hard to imagine a world where that was real and we you know i can't imagine any female talent on the roster today agreeing to something like that like yeah. wait you just want me to make up with some random dude <laughs> yeah but yeah well nydia was a special talent we can say at least that i think yeah. you know there is something about I her love the jamie noble nydia pairing though Yes, yes, I would love. Yes. I would love. I don't know if he's still an agent. I think he might be Jamie Noble. With yeah, I would, I would. I would. I. I was always waiting for him to bring her back out and just have like a one night run, a one night match. I think that would be great. I think that Jamie Noble was was so great in the ring. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So the next match we have here is Ric Flair defeating Chris Jericho by submission. And uh, obviously, this was Ric Flair in the twilight of his career, uh, but uh, it was certainly near peak Chris Jericho. I thought this was a really solid match. 
I thought that uh, obviously it was a thrill for Jericho to be working with Ric Flair, um, a legend. And uh, yeah, I mean, he loses to the figure four. So uh, I, I just, I thought this was terrific. I thought the storyline was good. A lot of vicious chops and, you know, two, two greats in there working together. Yeah, I mean, I think Flair looks great here for his age. I believe Jim Ross said he was 52 or 53. Uh, and at his age, this was a nice physical matchup. It was mostly a brawl that got technical toward the end. Um, I like the sequence of Flair going for the walls of Jericho, and then Y2J scores the figure four. That was all really well done. I didn't like that Flair taps out while grabbing the rope at the same time. That just seemed like a really contrived way to kind of save some face for Jericho. Uh, and I probably would have milked the figure four that led to the tap out more. But other 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 than that, I really like this match. And I was really impressed by just how good Flair looked. Because in my head, I remember Flair not being great in this period, you know, being, right. being old and being out of shape. But he, he was great here. And I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next match we have is Edge defeating Eddie Guerrero. And uh, again, this is you know, two greats. And the fact that they were able to work this singles program together it is wonderful to go back and watch. Uh, the uh, the storyline here was, uh, you know, about Edge's shoulder. Uh, got injured early in the match, and that's kind of what Eddie Guerrero was working on. But uh, yeah, these two worked really well together. Edge was on the rise. Easy to see why. Um, Eddie Guerrero was always consistent. These two were terrific together. Yeah, you know, the great old school story here, you know, Eddie uh, picks out a body part and works on it. And Edge had right. a pre-existing injury to the shoulder, which, of course, commentary mentions. And Edge sells it nice throughout. You know, he'll do a move, but he can't capitalize on it. And then through some of the dead spots, like when Eddie's outside the ring recovering, the, the arm is just hanging loose. So Edge is selling it really well. Good build to the finish. Another, you know, just a really solid match. Absolutely. And uh, the next match we have is the Un-Americans, Christian and Lance Storm defeating Booker T and Goldust for the WWE Tag Team Championships. They retain here. Um, the match itself was fine for what it was. I, I would probably say that this is well, maybe not my least favorite match on the card, but uh, it, it was it was OK for what it was. I was not really a big fan of the Un-Americans gimmick for these guys. Uh, this is this felt like old school WWE booking. Like we have these two guys, we don't know what to do with them. Let's just make them un-Americans. And obviously, Test was in that group as well. Hmm. Um, I love Christian. I love Lance Storm. I think that they would are were a great tag team in terms of uh, in-ring abilities. I just the un-Americans thing to me was just, eh. uh, but match was fine. I forgot the un-Americans were a thing when I saw the the match on like the list. I looked at the card real quick and i went oh that's dupree and conway no that's law resistance <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. also canadians right so yeah a ho-hum match for me i mean i appreciated the really long heat segment and gold dust i think they did a lot of innovative stuff to have the ref miss the tag right. uh but yeah i i would say this there's only really two matches on the card that i think are blah this is being uh one of them right um the next match we have is rob van dam defeating no one uh which no i'm just kidding he wrestled uh, the invisible man much yeah, like, so yeah. rob van dam defeats chris benoit here for the intercontinental title um here's what i'm gonna say about this match uh it was a good match these two guys were very good in the ring 
I personally, without getting off on a really wild tangent here, if I'm watching a full show, I will sit through a match featuring this individual. I will not seek out his matches individually ever. But if I have to watch an event and he just happens to be on it, I'll watch it. His talent in the ring has been talked about before. This is one of the longer matches on the card. These two guys maybe weren't known for their rivalry, but uh, this was a good match, a little over 16 minutes. And uh, that's about all I have to say. You know, I don't have anything really specifically to say here. Um, if, if I have any knock against the show overall, it's that it is so much WWE formula. Right. Like all the matches feel like the same match in right. a, lot of, a lot of the ways. So when we got to here, I honestly, it felt like I'd watched this match five times already. Right. So I didn't have a whole lot to say about it anyway, despite any of the reservations that you had. I will say I thought the tempo was good. I thought the sequence of moves were good. Um, I think it's a solid match. I don't have a lot to say about it. Right. Well, then we're in agreement there. Mm-hmm. So the next match is the Undertaker defeating Test. And I would assume this is the other Bala match you were referring to. Later. Yes, yes, it was. Um, yeah, this was just, you know, the Undertaker needed somebody to work with. And it was Test. Test is a big guy. No one would have picked Tess to win here, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a lot of, you know, gaga with uh, the other un-American members trying to come in and help Tess win. But, uh, you know, this is uh, American badass taker, and he gets an easy win here. It wasn't a bad match by any stretch, but it was just there. So, you know, I think it kind of gets overlooked that The Undertaker sometimes had – there were periods in his career where he was in super Cena mode. Yeah. And, and, and this is one of them, you know, it's three guys in a steel chair and he still wins. Right. So, you know, it, he looks as strong as he can look and I don't think he helped test any at all. Um, so yeah, I did. Again, this was a second blah match for me and, and I don't have a whole, and even though it wasn't that long, it felt really long. Like it was one of those matches yeah. where I, I kept looking at the time going, it should be over. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. be over by now. So you know, it, but if if you're gonna put it somewhere before the, the final two matches that we're gonna talk about, this is probably the best. You know, this is the nacho break. You called the let me up match. I always called the nacho break match, but it's the nacho break match for me. Right. Um, so our next match is uh, one of the highlights of the card. I would say this is the match to seek out if you wanted to watch one match. Um, and that is Triple H versus Shawn Michaels in an unsanctioned street fight. Uh, and, you know, the unsanctioned thing doesn't get uh, used a whole lot anymore, but uh, it certainly adds a flavor to it. This is a great match. It really, really is. Uh, Shawn Michaels returning after many years, um, after having a back injury when he uh, lost to, he had the back injury against The Undertaker, but he lost to S- Steve Austin at WrestleMania 15. And uh, then this is his return match. And, you know, this was a great period in Sean's career. I thought his rivalry with Triple H was great. One of, their, one of the best rivalries for both guys, in my opinion. They had a lot of really great encounters. And this was, this was a good one. It, it ended in a roll-up. And then just the, the post-match hit with Triple H. I mean, obviously... You know, Sean trusted him to deliver that. Now, normally when Triple H had that sledgehammer, he would always hold the end of it so that you could very clearly see that he wasn't going to strike 
the person very hard, but he swings this one like a baseball bat. Um, so it really does look vicious. Um, but uh, yeah, great match all around. You got Sean in his jeans. So that shows you it's unsanctioned, right, Leonard? Right. right. I, I, I caught that. Actually, I thought that too. It's like, oh, it's one of those, this is something I don't do anymore either. It's like the come as you are street fight and they will, you know, come out like jeans and t-shirt type. Of thing. Right. So. Another good one on a side note is mm-hmm. John Cena versus Eddie Guerrero parking lot brawl. Oh yeah. Surrounded by cars. Um, and yeah, I think I vaguely remember that one. I think they're in street clothes for that one as well, but yeah, they yeah, should do I, the street clothes thing more often. Yeah, and I don't think you mentioned, uh, but they they definitely mentioned on commentary several times that this is Shawn Michaels' first match in four years. They hadn't wrestled since WrestleMania of 98. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, great storyline, great feud, although in retrospect, you can tell it was, you know, these two BFFs blowing each other. You know, it, 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 watching it, I, I don't know. I had my, yeah, I mean, I just had my in, in my head. It was like Shawn Michaels going, oh, hey, Triple H, watch me do this. And Triple H going, oh, hey, Shawn, I'm going to do this on you. And it was like, I don't know. It felt, I think that's a retrospect thing. Yeah. You know, at the time, you wouldn't think about that. Uh, I mean, I did like the actual match in and of itself. I like they wrestled the match with inside the gimmick. They just right. wasn't them slapping each other with weapons. All the weapon spots, I think, meant something. Uh, there was a good build to all the weapon spots and all the right. bigger spots throughout the match. Michael sells great throughout, of course. Uh, I love the splash through the table. I love the elbow off the ladder. Um, I would probably have ended with the elbow off the ladder. I think the finish is a little too anticlimactic for a street fight where you have a counter to a counter until like a, what is that, jackknife cover um so and also too i know you you just put over the the attack after the bell but i think that really sours sean's return and and the win here i think the crowd is really into it uh and sure that helps to prolong the feud it helps triple h to get some of his heat back but given the fact that this was michael's return after four years off i think you just let him have that moment and you do something the next night on raw yeah that's fair that's fair Mm -hmm. well our main event is Brock Lesnar defeating The Rock for the Undisputed Championship. And uh, at the time, Brock Lesnar was the youngest person to hold the WWF, WWE title. Randy Orton would uh, become that once Lesnar left. They had to have somebody else get that accolade. Um, it, you know, this, this is a good match. And I think the interesting thing about it is what makes the match a little awkward is the crowd reaction. The crowd was super ready for Lesnar here. There's no other way to say it. They were, they were done with the rock. They, you know, Austin was, you know, in the rear view, like they were ready for Brock Lesnar here. They, everybody was buying him hook, line and sinker. And I'll never forget. I was watching live when he debuted and, you know, immediately I was just like, wow, who is this guy? You know, just the, you know, the look of him was, you know, just really eye catching. Um, but then when you really buy him, I think is where he takes that legit shoot chair shot by the Hardy boys. Um, I think the following week to the face, Leonard, if you haven't seen that in a while, you need to go rewatch it. Um, I probably haven't seen it since it happened. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just a, it's a shoot shot of a chair directly to the face. <laughs> like, so the crowd was really into him. That's the point. And they were not really 
wanting to rock anymore. This is unfortunately sometimes what happens with crowds. When you're done, you're done. And they were ready for Lesnar here, and that's what was delivered. Um, the match itself was fine. It was a show for Brock to get over. I thought that he had a decent match with The Rock. The Rock got a lot of his stuff in. Mm -hmm. uh, but The Rock was clearly bothered by the crowd reaction. Um, and The Rock wears his emotions on his sleeves with such things. I remember when he tried to come in and save Roman Reigns. Oh, yeah. Reigns won the Rumble, expecting the crowd to just immediately cheer. And they didn't because they just didn't care that The Rock was there. They just didn't like Reigns winning. Um, so The Rock is always very obvious when he's displeased <laughs> with these yes. types of things. But so, yes, the crowd made it a little awkward for me. But overall, I thought it was good. And it's just, a you know, it's a great highlight to see Lesnar win. So, you know, unless they cut it on the WWE Network, which I watched a show on, I don't think The Rock had a promo unless I missed it. No. Like, no. Yeah. Like there was the locker room promo with uh, Heyman and Lesnar. Right. So I think everyone at the time knew that The Rock was leaving to make movies and that yeah. Lesnar was, was the heir apparent. I think everyone, even at the time, this isn't a retrospect thing. At the time, I think everybody knew what was going on here. Yeah. Uh, this was Rock's coming out party. He went from being the next big thing to the big thing. Um, and I think Rock made him look really strong throughout. Um, yeah. You know, I think I, you do at the end, now that you mention it, I think you do notice the Rock being a little bit off his game. But I think most of the time he was focused on putting Lesnar over. I love yeah. the Rock bottom on Heyman through the table. This is probably the most involved I ever remember Heyman being in a match, like being physically involved in a Yeah, match. you know what? I don't think it needed it. No, really, I don't think it did. Like, I get the, the I get the says that. of it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get the booking of it, uh, but I really, but I like I like the rock bomb through the table on Heyman. I mean, somehow you got to work that in. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, there, I, there I agree post -match, with you. Um, there was post-match stuff after the card went off the air mm -hmm. where I think the rock was like, sing along with the rock is over um, or something like that. Something, yeah. like that something like that I read uh, after the fact. But yeah, the rock would come back as a heel uh much later when he would face yeah return from COVID the again, i think no way out but yeah well you know as, as as i as i said a little bit earlier i think this is a really great show you only have two clunker matches my only complaint is that it's a lot of the wwe formula style at the time i'm not sure we if we were technically into the smackdown six era that they called it uh, but of course, all the all the SmackDown matches, I think, were the better matches over the Raw, the Raw only matches per se. Um, you know, WWE had some really top talent at the time, um, and I think this this show showcases that. You know, uh, this is all the top guys. I can't even remember who else they had laying around. Uh, the rosters uh, at this point, I would have to go back and look. I mean, we're reminded of Jamie Noble, as we mentioned, right. uh, but not really much of anybody else who was not on the show. You know, now today they'll often have segments where you see 50 guys hanging out in the back just to get their yeah. face on. Uh, and you didn't have that here. This was the cream of the crop. This was trimmed down to the the, the best guys and or at least of the, the best storylines. And I think it's also interesting to note, as I take a quick look, there was only the one tag match, which right. was the, uh, and, and, and the courts has been said that Vince McMahon was never a fan of tag team wrestling, you know, for whatever reason, even the tag teams can certainly get over. Uh, so I think that's something unique that there's only one tag match on the card. And that was, in my opinion, the worst match uh, of, of, of the card. Um, uh, it, but it was very clear. Undertaker and test as well, both again, 
when you got a show that only has two okay matches, I mean, you're doing all right. That's what I was going to say. Even the matches, like you were talked about them being clunkers. I would even just say that they're okay. Like they weren't bad. Um, yeah. They're clunkers in comparison. Yeah, Clunkers in comparison to the rest of the card. But yes, okay. You know, fine for what they right. were. Right. I would say probably the worst match is the one that nobody saw, which is Spike Dudley against Stephen Richards, which is the dark match, which is what was a it? weird dark match for there to be on SummerSlam. <laughs> Like, yes what was it trapping on acid spike dudley it should have been it should have been that's a character that they they could have used and uh they need to he could be a member of the dark order in AEW. just saying yeah um but uh but yeah so these uh whether or not there are favorite summer slams who knows these are the two that we chose to highlight today um we could go over some of our favorite summer slam moments and we'd be here a lot longer yes uh but uh yeah, these are two great Summer Slams. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed our show. Uh, let us know what you think of our choices. Let us know what you think of the newest Summer Slam if you want. Um, you can check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us reviews that put us in a glowing light. Uh, like our video here on YouTube and uh, subscribe, all that great stuff. And uh, for Leonard, my name is Chad, and we will see you next week.